Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of James. And we left off, I believe, with verse number 12 last time we were together. And so I'll be picking, no, we didn't. I'm sorry. We left off with verse 11. But I am going to skip verse 12 simply because verse 12 ties back in with verses 1 through 8. It's a string of pearls, as we talked about last time, where he talks about one idea, moves to another idea, comes back to the previous idea. And I I don't want to do that as I am simply re-recording sermons that I've already preached. And so go to James chapter 1 and verse number 13. As I ask you this question this morning, or where whatever time it is where you're listening, what makes sin so dangerous? What makes sin so dangerous? You know, sin entered into the world when Adam and Eve fell, and because of that, death followed and entered into the world. And since then, sin and wickedness have run amok in God's creation. Of course, God offers the solution by sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners who repent. And we often speak of that in showing terms of God's great love for sinners. And that's true. God does love sinners. John's very clear. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But what we often miss is the seriousness of sin. God not only loved sinners so much that he sent Jesus to die, but he also hated sin so much that he allowed his son to die for it. God hates sin, cannot, will not tolerate sin. All of us are born sinners and are inclined towards sin. We're totally depraved. But after we get saved, we are called to live a life that pursues holiness. We won't become sinless until we get to heaven, but we should sin less if we're saved. And I will not take uh, credit for that quote. That was a preacher by the name of Alfred Willis, and I will never forget when Brother Willis made that statement. When I got saved, he said, I didn't become sinless, but I do sin less. There's a change. Nevertheless, we come back to the question, what makes sin so dangerous? Well, I believe there's three things to be considered that are laid out for us in this text pretty orderly. First of all, sin is seductive. Second of all, sin is destructive. And third of all, sin is deceptive. Sin is seductive, sin is destructive, and sin is deceptive. And so James begins, and I'm going to jump right in here. James begins with reminding his readers that we are all personally responsible for our sin. In verse 13 he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt him, he himself tempt anyone. You cannot blame God for your sin as Adam did. God is not the author of sin. Remember Adam in Genesis 3 told God, that woman you gave me, he was attempting to pass the blame for his own actions on to God and then on to Eve. But that's not how it works, my friend. 
The drunkard cannot blame the bartender. He makes the decision to abuse alcohol. We're responsible for our own actions. The weight of our sin is on our shoulders until we come to Christ to be converted in repentance and faith towards Jesus. We think of old Tom Sawyer. When he was caught, what did he tell his mother in the book? The devil made me do it. Well, I have news for Mr. Sawyer and for you as well. The devil cannot be in more than one place at a time, and he cannot make you do anything. Go back and read the book of Job. We sin because we are sinners and we enjoy it. That is a Bible fact. You say, Pastor, I think you are drawing too dark a picture of humanity. To that I reply, Au contraire, Pierre, Genesis chapter 8. God told Noah, man is evil, the imagination of man is evil from his youth. The book of Psalms, David said, in sin my mother conceived me, in iniquity I was brought forth. Book of Romans, Paul said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, this is the problem with society today, even outside the, secu- uh, the sacred and the secular is everybody's a victim, and it ain't never my fault, and it's always something somebody else did, and everybody else owes me something. Well, that game might work with the American government, and clearly the welfare system is a picture that it does work, but God don't play that game. You see, God holds you responsible for your actions and your sin. In God's economy, the only thing we are a victim of is our own sinfulness. So sin is personal. Next, James writes, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Well, the devil may, no sir, no sir, the word of God says that it was your own desires. You sin because you like it in your flesh. And that's why us as Christians who have been born again, that's why it's a fight. Because our flesh is always wanting to go back to that sin. And our soul, the part of us that's saved and being sanctified, being conformed to the image of Christ, is always fighting against it. And so that's the believer's battle. Paul talks about that. He said, things I ought not to do, I do. Things I ought to do, I do not. O wretched man that I am. Blase, blase. But don't ever get it twisted and think it's anybody's fault but yours. My sin, okay, is nobody's fault but mine. James says each one, individual, individual, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now that word drawn in the Greek has the idea of a lure. Let me give you an illustration that we're going to follow through the rest of the passage. Now, for the fishermen listening, you know what a lure is. It's designed to draw and entice a fish to bite the hook. Moreover, you know that we use different baits for different fish. Now, now me personally, I don't care for bass fishing. I I don't get anything out of it. I don't like to eat bass. I, I don't, doesn't do anything for me. But I love, I love to fish for crappie 
and to take them home that same day, run that fillet knife through them, bread them and fry them, I mean fresh out of the water. I love it. That's something I enjoy, okay? And so I know when I go crappy fishing, I'm not going to use a watermelon red zoom trick worm. That's bass bait. I'm not trying to catch bass. Hold on. Stay with me. I'm not trying to catch bass. I'm trying to catch crappy. So I'm going to take minnows or I'm going to take a jig and I'm going to dance it just right or I'm going to put that minnow at the right depth and I'm going for crappy. Now I don't go out there crappy fishing and take chicken liver. You know why? Because I'm not fishing for catfish. I'm fishing for crappy. And I have a good friend, Brother Alex Chapman. He he took this analogy that I believe James and, T, and just took it even further. He said, at best, you can't blame the devil. At best, he's just a fisherman. And he knows what bait you like. But at the same time, you don't bite the hook because he made you. You bite the hook because you like the bait. Man, that's great. And he said it much more professional than that. But that's good. And that's what I'm getting at here is the idea of a lure. It draws us out. And that's why I said, friend, this first point, verses 13 and 14, sin is seductive. It will draw you out. It will seduce you until it's too late to do anything about it. Now, it it can't make you do it. Okay, I've been fishing and, and used the right bait at the right time, in the right place, and still not catch anything, I can't force that crappy to bite that minnow or to bite that jig. But I can entice him. Oh, I can draw him. If you will, I can seduce him. So sin is seductive because it draws, it entices. We've got to move on. Verse 15. Not only is sin seductive, but it is destructive. Look at verse 15. Then... When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see, as that fish looks at that lure, let's go back to the fish. He is not thinking about death. He's thinking about filling his stomach. He wants to be filled with the pleasure of what he thinks is a free lunch. But let me tell you something. I used to work in the business world, and I'm going to tell you the first rule of business I learned is there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. And that fish thinks it's a free lunch, and so he goes, he's seduced, and he bites that hook. And I'm going to tell you, if he bites my hook, I, I don't put crappy back. I don't care how big they are. If it's crappy, it's getting a fillet knife. So his seduction led to his destruction. I seduced him with the bait, and now I'm going to destroy him with the fillet knife, and that's how the that's how the enemy works. The enemy will get you seduced on bait, and your bait might be different than my bait. Hello. Because the Bible says, lay aside the sin which easily besets you. James said, let each one. So the bait that attracts you might not attract me. And But the enemy's a good fisherman. Go back to the fisherman analogy. I don't go crappy fishing with night crawlers or chicken liver because that, that's catfish bait. And, and, and I don't go catfishing 
with a little crappy jig. Why? Because that's crappy bait. I use the bait according to what I'm fishing for. I'm trying to help somebody on this. Ladies and gentlemen, the enemy knows the bait you like, but he cannot make you bite the hook. And don't you dare pull a Adam and turn around and try to blame God because James has already dealt with that. And see, the fish doesn't realize when he bites that bait what's coming. Okay, destruction's coming. And he bites that bait, and he's like, man, this this is good. This feels good. This tastes good. This is good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he feels a prick in that jaw, and he says, hold up. Something's wrong. That hurts. And then before he knows it, no, again, I'm a crappy fisherman. That that four or six pound test line is pulling him ninety miles an hour towards that bank or towards that boat. And before he realizes it, that fisherman's got his thumb in the mouth, the hook is out, and he's stuck. And before long, he feels a piercing down the back of his neck, if, his, if you will, if a fish has a neck, you know what I'm talking about. And that fillet knife lays him open just as pretty as you want. And it's game over. Don't get it twisted, though. The seduction always comes before the destruction. Let me go back and read James because I need you to understand this. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin will always seduce you before it destroys you. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. Go back to the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. That's how it worked. Let me give you another illustration. A man is at his job, works hard, got a wife, two beautiful babies. And an attractive woman at work, and he notices her, but he quickly looks away. However, day by day, she, she comes by, and she talks to him. She flirts with him. Maybe she even changes her dress a little bit to be more seductive, more attractive. And at first, he swims away, if you will, following the fish analogy. But before long, he befriends her. He goes to lunch with her. They exchange personal contact information. Maybe a text or two is sent. Maybe a text that goes a little too far, but hey, no harm, no foul. And before you know it, the hook has been set. Adultery has been committed. And now he has to go home and face that beautiful wife and those two children that God put him to be a shepherd over. And he has to fess up. And the lawyers get involved. And that home goes up for sale. And that car that he had saved up, that he used to take his family for drives in, now it's at a lot. And how he used to come home every day at 5.30 and walk through that house and that youngest child would greet him at the door with a hug and a kiss and he would go up and 
hug his wife and that oldest child would come running down the stairs because daddy's it's all gone it's all been destroyed it's all been killed because of the seduction of sin that brought destruction and just like the fish he was seduced and then he was destroyed sin will kill you and to the lost person if you're deceived by sin and you don't deal with it eternally, you will face the second death, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, which is the lake of fire. So even if you think you got away with it on this life, you will not get away with it on the next life. You see, sin will either kill you in this life or the next one. That's why it must be dealt with by the blood stained, nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. You see that, we think of David and Bathsheba. David committed adultery and murder and it cost him his only son. Sin brought death to David's life. Now I'm going to tell you something. David wasn't thinking about holding that cold, dead, precious child when he was undressing Bathsheba with his eyes, and he wasn't thinking about the fact that he was going to have to kill a man that had stood by him for years in battle. He wasn't thinking about that when he was sneaking Bathsheba in the back door and telling his servants to keep their mouth shut that it was the king's business. Oh, no, he didn't think about that then, but I promise you when that baby drew its last breath and David held that sweet child lifeless corpse in his hands that the old saying came back to him from the prophet that says he that soweth to the wind is going to reap the whirlwind. What more can be said is simply this. Lastly, sin is deceptive. Look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. James wrote, do not be deceived. Sin is deceptive. Just as the fishing lure deceives the fish into thinking free lunch, so sin deceives the sinner into thinking temporary pleasure will not bring eternal consequences. This lie goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did the devil tell Eve? You won't really die. Take this fruit. It won't really hurt you. Let's put this into modern terms. Watch this video. It won't really hurt you. Ladies, text that guy back from work. It won't really cause a problem between you and your husband. Young man, sleep with this girl you're not married to. It won't really hurt you. The list goes on and on of the deception of sin. It deceives us into thinking that we can handle it or that it will not cost us much. We lie to ourselves by our own desires. As James said, we might even do this one. Well, this is the last time, or only this once, or well, I got mad, so it's okay. God will forgive me. And then all of a sudden, the seduction leads to destruction, and we realized we were deceived. You see, all three of these points tying together, let me do that for you quickly as we run out of time. The deception of sin is this. The seduction comes before the destruction. The seduction brings pleasure, joy. Oh, I'm having a good time. And then all of a sudden, 
destruction. That's why it's deceptive. Let me say that again. The deception of sin is this. That seduction comes before destruction. And that's how all three of these principles tie together as James teaches us what makes sin so dangerous. Well, it's seductive, it's destructive, and it's deceptive. There's only one answer for sin, and that's Jesus Christ. By his own sacrifice on the cross, he offers us forgiveness from the power of sin. You cannot handle sin. It will handle you. Billy Sunday said this, One reason sin flourishes is that it is treated like a cream puff instead of a rattlesnake. Now, I've talked about lost people who've never dealt with their sin eternally. But what about saved people that from time to time backslide? I didn't say you lose your salvation or no such thing. Uh, And if you're truly saved, you will come back to fellowship. But regardless, what about uh, saved people that backslide and allow sin to creep up in their life? It's because they treat it like a cream puff and not a rattlesnake. You see, a cream puff can't hurt you, but a rattlesnake will kill you. Bring your sin to Jesus and repent from it. Turn from it before you have to pay for it. Don't take the bait. Stay away from the lure because payday's coming. And you don't want to face the devil's fillet knife as the fish faces mine. We go all the way back to one of the great Puritans. And let me say this, and I don't want to, I know I make a habit of offending people, but one of the problems with most preachers in the pulpits today is they're, they're not reading the Puritans. They need to put down the Joel Osteen and pick up the John Owen. Speaking of John Owen, he said this, Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. What makes sin so dangerous, Pastor? It's seductive. It's destructive, and it's deceptive. Kill it if it's in your life. If you've never repented of being a sinner, turn to Christ. Either way, he's the only answer.